Welcome to the Reluctant Messenger podcast, where we discuss spiritually transformative events, encounters with angels and guides, out-of-body explorations, and much more. This episode originally aired as a video on my YouTube channel. You can find links on my website at CandiceSanderson.com. Welcome to episode four in my series on dreams. My name is Candace Sanderson, and I want to return to something that I mentioned and promised in previous episode. Well, the time has come. Let me share. During the last episode, I went over suggestions for better dream recall and how to become more lucid in your dreams. But I also spoke of how important it is to remember our dreams right? This is when I hinted that we really do not have to remember our dreams in order for them to help us. We can still program our dreams for success, whether we remember them or not. And we can and do learn from our dreams, once again, whether we remember them or not. I do love it when I have great dream recall. It makes the dreams more fun. There's uh, much more of an entertainment value. But believe me when I say it is not necessary to remember your dreams. So if you're one of those people who are interested in dreaming or lucid dreams, or even using dreaming as a foundation for greater explorations of consciousness, like astral traveling, out-of-body experiences, but you don't remember your dreams? Well, take a deep breath. Your interest is not in vain. I have a suspicion that you're farther along on your dreaming adventures than what you thought. Recently, while preparing for an upcoming podcast interview on dreaming, I decided to look at my dream journal, all 250,000 words of it. Let me share with you the experience that got me started in finally journaling my dreams. This was March 2002. I had had a few dreams before that, and they were very significant. I'll always remember them. But when I had those dreams, I actually didn't take the time to document them like I do now. So what I'm going to share with you is this first entry in my dream journal. It's a dream that referenced another dream from 15 years before. But there's a couple things that I didn't realize. First, the event from 15 years before, what was mentioned in that first entry of my dream journal Well, that event, which I'll share in a minute, was based on a dream. I did not know it at the time, but you'll see in the next few moments how I learned that. And secondly, once I saw the full picture, I finally had a better understanding. This new dream expanded my knowledge and appreciation about what occurs during dreams. There is so much more that happens than what we realize, as I hope my story will demonstrate for you. When I had this dream in 2002, I knew I had to start a dream journal. This information was too important not to document it. 15 years before this 2002 dream was the year 1987. 
it occurred a few weeks after my husband, Daryl, died of cancer. He had just turned 35 and was so healthy, or so we thought. But less than two months after routine chest x-ray showed metastatic cancer, he was gone. Although we were still in a state of shock and denial in the last few days of his life, as he laid in his hospital bed, we finally mustered the courage to talk about what would happen when he's gone. We talked about his will, and Daryl asked me where it was. I am so organized. I had a file that I kept at work labeled important papers, and anything of significance, I kept a copy of it there. If we ever had a fire or a break-in, whatever, I knew that I could always put my hands on those most important papers. Those copies were safely filed in my office at work. I guess most people use a bank's lockbox, but not me. I didn't have to. I had that special file where I could access it anytime I needed to. So when Daryl asked if I knew where the will was, I told him not to worry. I had a copy of it safe and sound in my desk at work. Well, guess what? A copy of a will is not the same as the original. Maybe it is now. Maybe it is elsewhere. But at that time, 1987, in Kentucky, a copy was basically worthless. It didn't matter that the will had been witnessed by our attorney, the one who had drawn up the will, and his assistant. We could not use a copy in probate court. If I could not locate the original, I would have to go to court and have a trial by jury to prove that the copy of the will was legitimate. After Daryl died, I looked for it everywhere, everywhere, for weeks. Here's the kicker. At that time, because of his death, all of our assets were frozen. I think most states are kinder now, and they don't do that. But back then, credit cards, checking accounts, saving accounts, everything was frozen until I went to probate court, and I could not do that without the will. It was terrible. Daryl was president of the Home Builders of Western Kentucky when he died. He had a thriving business. He was in the process of building seven homes. We had over 50 apartment rentals, but all work had to stop. I couldn't pay anyone. I didn't even have money for gas or groceries much less to run a business. Luckily, one of Daryl's friends gave me cash so I could buy groceries. I couldn't even return to my work as a psychologist, you know, in order to get income because Daryl's business required all of my attention. So I went on leave, unpaid leave. There's more to the story, but you get the picture. I was in dire straits. I had to find the will. Weeks passed, and I spent every waking hour searching under beds, in closets, wherever and any, anywhere I could think of. One afternoon, while the kids were in school, I was emotionally and physically exhausted, and I fell asleep on the couch in the living room. That was my first clue, but I didn't recognize it in real time, taking a nap. 
because taking a nap, that's unusual for me. I do not nap. While sound asleep on the couch, the phone rang and just startled me awake. And the call was from Betty, a dear friend of mine who was calling to see how I was. While talking on the phone with her, I did what I did for weeks. I began searching and searching for that will. For some unknown reason, when I answered the phone, my search took a different direction. Not intentionally, it just happened. But I rolled off the couch, phone in hand, and I went directly to the garage. I walked straight to one corner. I opened an antique wooden corner cabinet. It's like tucked neatly against a corner in the garage. I had several choices where to look. I chose the bottom drawer. I pulled out the drawer and picked one of several boxes and pulled, it was heavy. I pulled it out of the cabinet and let it land on the garage floor. When I opened it, it was filled with more bags and even smaller boxes. I picked up one bag, I opened it, and there it was. I was holding the will in my hands. I thought about all of the steps I had taken. Garage, cabinet, just the right drawer to open, just the right box to open, just the right bag inside that box to open. Step by step, I had gone directly from the couch to the will. Directly, no missed steps. I told my friend that the angels must have sent her. It certainly felt magical and divine. So with that backstory revealed, let me share the March 2002 dream. A couple weeks before this dream, I had misplaced, again, something. And it wasn't anything significant like a will, but it was annoying. I don't usually lose things. I knew I would find it eventually, and even if I didn't, it was no big deal. But it bugged me. What had I lost or misplaced was a microphone, and I used it to dictate my psychological reports at work. I kept looking for it, but I couldn't find it. Back then, I worked out of two schools and the main office, so I actually had three buildings in which to look. I went to one school, and it wasn't there. So I figured I'd left it at the other school. A few days later, when I was scheduled at the second school, I fully expected to find the microphone, but it wasn't there. That's frustrating. Well, it wasn't so frustrating as just puzzling. Where is it? I realized I must have left the microphone at the main office, and I wasn't scheduled at the main office until the following Friday. So I just have to wait. Friday arrived, and fully expecting to find the microphone at the main office, I didn't. Now I was starting to be frustrated. Where was it? Once I got home, I realized that mic must be hidden somewhere in my car. So I brought out a big box, cleared out my entire trunk. Because I travel to different sites, I have multiple test kits, protocols, and other work-related things in my car. The mic must have been in one of my test kits. Went through every single one of them. Nope. I forgot about it for a few days, but all the while knowing that it would show up. I finally broke down and cleaned out my second car. I don't usually drive that one to work, but it's possible that I had. Nope, not there either. I went to bed that evening. 
the missing microphone was probably on my mind, but I don't think I was intentionally thinking about it. But by this time, I had been looking for almost two weeks for that microphone. This is when I had the dream. And I'm going to read this directly from my dream journal. There was this group of people who told me where my microphone was. They said it was inside my angel emporium bag next to my bedroom door on the floor. In the dream, I said, quote, but this is just a dream and I won't remember it when I wake up. I understand now that this was a lucid dream where I was aware during the dream, but I didn't even know what a lucid dream was back then. When I said I won't remember it, they said, yes, you will. Do you remember finding the will? I did a double take. The will? I replied, yes. They replied with this question. What were you doing right before you found it? And I had to think back for a while because that was 15 years before. So I paused and thought and replied with one word, sleeping. Their answer, yes, sleeping. We told you where to find it while you were sleeping. That's why you found it. We told you where it was. You will remember where the microphone is. As soon as I woke up, I was fully cognizant of the dream. I knew the information was true. So I just started smiling. I got out of bed and I walked directly to where they said the microphone was. They were right. It was inside my angel emporium bag, which is just a canvas bag. It was on the floor next to my bedroom door. I was absolutely thrilled. I must have brought the microphone home to do some work. I didn't usually use that specific bag, canvas bag. I usually carried it in my leather briefcase or sometimes just by itself. I must have hung the bag on my bedroom door when it was closed. So when I opened my door, it had fallen to the floor. Let's talk about the significance of the dream and what the takeaways are. First of all, I never realized that I had received guidance from my angels or guides in finding the will. Yet there were some hints in retrospect. I never napped but they needed to communicate with me. I'm guessing they had tried while I was awake, but I wasn't listening. I had to quiet my mind. And the best way to do that was for me to be asleep. Thus, they arranged for me to take a nap, a very rare occurrence for me during the middle of the day. They told me where the will was, but they did this using an intermediary my friend, Betty, who woke me at precisely the right time. I didn't wake and remember the message in the dream. Walk here, turn there, pull out this, look through that, and there's the will. But nonetheless, I had followed their directions without knowing it. I had even told my friend, Betty, that the angels 
must have told her where the will was. On one level, I did know the angels had sent her. Now I communicate freely with my angels and guides, but this was way before that time. Also, as I look at Betty, I realized she became a messenger for my angels and guides. They worked their magic through her. Haven't we all been there? We blurt out answers or we do something that turns out to be significant for someone else. Our angels and guides use us at times to become their messengers. So 15 years later, I learned the truth. These messengers, these guides, these angels were here. They told me I would remember their instructions on how to find the microphone. It was just how I had found the will 15 years before. And where was it? In an angel emporium bag. Another takeaway from this is the guidance that we receive while dreaming. Each night, doorways open between worlds, allowing us to explore these often unmarked dimensions of spirit. It's great when we remember the dreams, but as this 2002 dream showed, my dreams had guided me 15 years before without my knowledge. Yet I still benefited from it. So even if we do not remember our dreams, it doesn't mean that we do not reap the benefits from them. Guidance takes place whether we recognize it in real time or not. Look how many pieces of art, uh, music, scientific theories, inventions. Look how many of those occur during sleep. Thomas Edison had an area in his lab set up for him to nap. He'd be working on a project, take a snooze, and then he would awaken with the answers. I am guessing there are so many people who come up with innovative ideas that were probably shared with them during dreaming, but they didn't recognize them. After all, think of the word inspiration. It comes from in spirit. Dreams are where inspiration is birthed, and being in spirit changes us. Dreaming is so important. It allows our true essence, our spirit, our soul, whatever you want to call it, it allows it to become untethered from our physical bodies. We can fly. We can zoom across the cosmos. We can hang out with deceased loved ones. We can commune with angels, guides, and even ETs. Why? Well, first of all, during dreams, we don't have our egos to stop us. We don't judge it. We don't label these nighttime excursions as impossible. We simply allow them to occur. And the farther we leave this 3D world, whether it's in a dream state or in meditation, the more profound our experiences can become. Our energy bodies allow what we think is impossible to occur. We dip our toes into the cosmic consciousness and we become part of all that is. But 
we come back from these excursions and we discover that we've changed. We may not see it or feel it in real time. Just as I did not recognize the guidance from my angels or guides who helped me find the will, but they helped me nonetheless. Even if for just a few minutes each night, we leave this 3D world and return home to the world from which we came, the world of the non-physical, our energy body mingles with the energy of the cosmos, the energy of creation. And our vibrational patterns change, even if just for a few moments. I began my first book, The Reluctant Messenger, with a quote from Nikola Tesla. And I love it. It just says it all. He said, if you want to find the secrets of the universe, think in terms of energy, frequency, and vibration. Since my spontaneous opening to spirit in 2013, I've learned so much from the messengers. Even in the last episode, they gave me a vision that helped me understand our connections, our energy connections to them. Once we connect with the non-physical, whether it's during meditation, prayer, dreaming, or maybe just a peaceful walk in nature, we've made an initial connection. We've laid the foundation for future trips. The messenger showed me a vision in the last episode where I was the pilot of a small plane. And I'm heading toward what my instrument panel showed me was my destination. I was above the clouds. I couldn't see any land below. I could only trust that the instruments were correct. And as I dipped below the cloud coverage, a set of runway lights appeared. I had this sigh of relief when it's like, yes, I have found my destination. The messengers say that these connections that we make during our dreams will always be on our radar, even if we're not aware of it. With each trip to a destination, those runway lights become brighter, making it easier to see. This also has a lot to do with trust. I had not been aware of the angelic guidance in finding the will, but that did not mean there was no connection. For those beings to come to me 15 years later in one of the first lucid dreams I'd ever had, it suggests to me that they've been around for quite a while. So don't feel bad if you don't remember your dreams. Through these successions of images that we have during sleep, we become explorers of the outer edges of consciousness. We seek knowledge beyond this 3D physical reality that we know so well. In time, your dream recall will improve. Try some of the hints that I shared in episode three, but rest assured that even if you're not remembering your dreams for now, you do benefit from them. So I invite you to turn inward and join me in this mystical dance in the ethers of the unknown called dreaming. And when you do, ask the hard questions and allow your dreams to cross your inner wisdom's threshold for the answers. 
and you will find that your destiny will unfold sometimes in the subtle play of patterns and synchronicity. They're like little scraps of truth that whisper just below the surface of what you think is your ordinary life. Your life is not ordinary, not at all. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I welcome you to share, to like, to subscribe, and to comment. You can always send me an email too with questions, or if you want to share a dream, you can find my email address on my website at canvassanderson.com. Remember, always use kind words. Follow the wisdom of your heart. We can make our world a better place by listening to that wisdom from within. So until next time, goodbye. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of The Reluctant Messenger. I hope you enjoyed it. Until next time, remember, how we use our personal energy is what defines us. Bring in those vibrations of love and gratitude and see how your life will change.